0: Welcome to the gathering. We're so happy to have you. Yes, my name is Oakley Alva. I am the women's director for young adult ministry, which really just means I get to hang out with you guys every week. And yes, it gives me the best job in the world. Um, We are tonight going to dive into our second week of our new series we launched last week, A Deeply Formed Life. Have the cool graphic. Oh no, that's just me now. Anyways, it's gone. Cool graphic, A Deeply forms Life. And if you were here last week, you got to hear how Andy went through and talked about Sabbath rest, the importance of rest, and how God's rest is the best rest. And so tonight, another spiritual discipline of sorts that we're gonna dive into is talking about the importance of devoting ourselves daily to the intake of this good book right here. Our Bibles, the importance of studying it, the importance of knowing God's word. And I wanna just kinda bring us all in and get on the same page of why that would even be important to begin with. Why should I care about a book, read a book that was written thousands of years ago by people I'll never know? And why are the stories important for me today? If you've ever been on a road trip where maybe someone that's driving is directionally challenged, you don't have to raise your hands if that's you, that's definitely me. And 10 miles in, you look at the GPS and realize six miles back, you took the wrong exit, and you're now kind of veering off and going the opposite way that you were supposed to go. Or maybe you're beach people, so you've been at the beach, you're sitting there with your little wakeboard, floating in the water, and then 30 minutes later, you look up and you're 100 yards away from that beach towel and volleyball that you left. And how that happens is a mystery. We think about those things in all of our lives, whether you've been driving and that's happened or just something else in your life that you can relate to, but you know of what it feels like to be headed in one direction and to feel like your feet are secure and you are going in the direction you want to be going. And then you look up and you look at your surroundings and realize how the heck did I even get here? How did I end up where I'm at today? Life is full of hurts. Life is full of unknowns. Life is full of trauma and grief and fear. And you might not be in this physical car of sorts, but so often when the world throws, throws things our way that we're not anticipating and we're not ready for, it can cause us to get off that path really quickly, the path that we were so sure that we're on. And then we wake up a year, five years, 10 years down the road and realize how the heck did I get where I was? And it brings us back to the question of why. Why is it important then? Why does this pertain to my life, to read God's word and to study it? And because we know that from God's word and exploring who he is, that this truth will never lead us astray. When we come back to our true north and center ourselves on God's word, we are focused, we're secure, our feet are steady, and it can bring us back to this place of confidence that God's word in the midst of all the chaos and all the crazy and all the trauma and all of the unknown, that God's word brings peace, God's truth is our comfort, and it's always reliable no matter what. And yet you might hear that much like myself, I know that, I can, I can see that in my mind of why it would be important, and yet it still is so hard for me to implement this and make daily reading of scripture an actual practice in my life. The things I often hear played out over and over again in my head when I'm sitting down for my quiet time, which if you haven't grown up in church, that Christianese phrase, quiet time, just kind of means you're sitting down with the Lord, you're opening your Bible and you're getting to worship Him and read about Him and pray. And I'm not always a fan of that phrase. My quiet times have looked a lot less quiet before. They've been frustrated and joyful and emotional and all the things, but we'll use that for familiarity's sake. But in case you've never heard that before, that's kind of what we're talking about. But when I sit down to have that time with the Lord, so many things can enter into my mind, so many lies as I'm sitting down to have time with Jesus. One of those is you'll have time to do it later. You're not a morning person, so give yourself that extra 30 minutes of sleep, you'll have time to do it later, which we all know is the biggest lie ever. You read scripture yesterday, you're doing good enough. Just ride out on what you learned from yesterday and you'll be fine. Or maybe it's useful only to do X, Y, Z, P, Q, R, B, C, D. The list goes on and on and on of the things that I can think I need to do that I place in priority over actually sitting down and having time with my Jesus. Sometimes really good things even distract me from reading my Bible. I remember I sat down a couple weeks ago and my brother called, my younger brother, and I'm not gonna be the older sister that doesn't answer when her younger brother calls. I'm trying to be that kid's best friend. So of course I answered. And the 20 minute detour then left me neglecting time in God's word completely. And that's not his fault. That's not that phone call's fault. That's just me saying it'll happen another time. And so I have fallen victim to all of the reasons of why I don't sit down with the Lord. And when I began to think about and study of why it's actually so hard for us Uh, as a culture to read our Bibles and to devote time to that daily, I think we can narrow it down to three different reasons or three dangers that threaten our time with God. The first that I came across was that we live in a comfort-obsessed world. What I mean by that is comfort, especially in our culture today, is of top priority. And I believe I'd be hard-pressed to find someone that would disagree with me on that. We're encouraged to pursue our dreams, chase success, find love, even if that means that we overlook and neglect relationship with the person that matters the most. Every day we're faced with the question, time with Jesus or anything else. And every day it gets a little easier and a little more socially acceptable to say yes to that anything else. I came across a quote and it says, God's truth gets strangled in our hearts and minds, not by the fierce grip of persecution, but by the gentler holds of the American dream. Yikes. So we live in a comfort obsessed world and it hinders intimacy with God. Secondly, we have a distracted faith. So often my soul is anxious for anything, something, to distract me and to entertain me, even if it's for a short period of time. When I think of things that easily distract us or entertain us as a whole, I think of social media. I think of finding the one, uh, cleaning the house, watching shows or movies, talking with friends, looking at porn, alcohol and drugs, gossiping about others' problems, obsessing over body weight and image, picking up a new hobby, immersing ourselves in politics. And I look at this list and I can say pretty confidently that basically everything on that list has captured my attention at some point and has drawn me away from looking at the Lord. And the longer that we allow ourselves to settle for this cheap, salty snack of entertainment, the less we're actually going to say yes and show up when God invites us to the feast that he's prepared for us, the less we're gonna desire it. And lastly, we have a flashy expectation when it comes to thinking about our time with God. We expect to be rocked every single time we have an encounter with God. Only the most flashy, the most entertaining, the most exciting things hold our attention nowadays. And we put that same kind of pressure on the Bible every time that we open it, or oftentimes when we open it. And I am not here saying that God won't absolutely rock your socks off. The things in this book will blow your mind away and will change your life forever. But what I'm saying is, are you expecting to be entertained or are you expecting to come meet with Jesus? There's a story in 1 Kings where there's a prophet Elijah. In chapter 19, it talks about his life and he's actually running away from some people that were chasing him to kill him. And he finds himself in this cave and while he's there, God comes to him and says, why are you here? And he tells him he's hiding out. And God invites Elijah to the face of this cave and he sends fire and he sends earthquake. He sends massive winds that destroy the side of this cave and cause rocks to come tumbling down. And yet it says that God was in none of those things. And yet when a still small breeze with a still small voice, Passed by the entrance of this cave, Elijah covered his eyes and hid his face because he knew without a doubt that was the presence of God. Are we okay with encountering that still small voice? God's not gonna compete over the noise and the voices in our lives. Are we okay with sitting and waiting for that to be the response that we get from God? And you guys, i if this is you that you've fallen victim to any of these things before, which I can confidently say, it's probably most of us in this room, you are in good company. I am right there with you. That's why this lesson for me was so convicting to prepare because I think about how often I've chosen so many other things rather than actually devoting time to read God's word and to hide it in my heart. But tonight I want to identify and talk about why this exact discipline is possibly one of the most meaningful and will absolutely transform your entire lives more than you ever thought possible. If you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles or your phones to John 15, that's where we're gonna be to start us off. In this text, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and sharing a few final commands, bits of encouragement before he's taken to be crucified. He's just washed the disciples' feet a few chapters back and even promise the coming Holy Spirit. So picking up in John 15, he encourages them with this metaphor. Uh, And I wanna ask you guys to do something a little different tonight as we're about to read this. If we're gonna talk about really revering this book and we're gonna express how powerful we know this book to be, if you guys would just stand with me as we read these first couple verses, might feel uncomfortable, might feel weird, but just stand with me as a posture of reverence for the word that God's given us. So we're gonna be in John 15. We're gonna start in verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you were clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God, come into this place, fill us with the spirit, speak to us through your word, God, and prick all of our hearts, encourage our hearts, God, to have deeper love for your word. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, you guys can be seated, thank you. Thank you. So there's a lot to unpack in this passage. And from this passage, I wanna pull four different reasons or four different products really of what happens when we devote our lives to the words found in this book. When we allow the spirit to use these words to teach us and to guide us, what then is produced? What then is the fruit of that devotion? And the first thing I wanna talk about is that devotion produces dependence. Devotion produces dependence. In a world that commends independence, we are called to be solely dependent on Christ. That last verse we read, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This was not just written to the believing world. This is written to the entire world. Every person, whether they know it or not, gets to have their next breath because of the inner workings of God himself. Because of the sovereign hand of God working inside of us, we are allowed to breathe, to walk, to move, to talk, to have relationships, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Everything in me, although I read this, and I can understand it, and I can see it as truth, everything in me still has this weird desire to prove that I can do things on my own that I can be Miss Independent. I mean, one of my first ever memories that I don't remember as well, but it scarred my mother was, I was four years old, and we were outside playing in our backyard uh, on this little jungle gym swing set that we had, and she ran inside no more than five minutes just to go to the bathroom, come back out really quick. And in that five minutes for a reckless child like myself, I climbed up on the top of our swing set, four years old, mind you, climbed up on the top of the swing set, that was close enough to our house, climbed up on the roof of our house, and didn't stop there, but climbed to the top of the roof of our house and sat there as a terrified mom looked up at me and saw her daughter's life flash before her eyes. And everything in me just had this desire that I can do it. I'm independent. And that still has not, I'm not climbing on roofs anymore, but that still has not changed for me today in my adulthood life, that there is this achiever mentality within me that I can be enough. And yet what the Bible says and reminds us of is that without God, without the working of God in our lives, that we were dead in our sin, that we were hopeless in all of our affliction and that we were destined for an eternity of forever without Him, without Jesus. We needed God to save us and we need him now to continually sanctify us. Devotion to his word reminds us that we are solely dependent on God. Every day we've gotta wake up and remind our success achievement driven flesh that we cannot do enough and we can never do enough for God. Looking back at last week, Andy took us through a passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This very commandment right here places us as sons and daughters of God in a posture of learning and receiving rather than having to go and do and achieve. And when we place ourselves in these positions, these postures to be changed by God, we realize that we're not the ones accomplishing this transformation in our heart. We'll never be able to do that. We'll never be able to do enough. But we choose to come before God, humbly submit ourselves and depend on him completely and rely on him and the working of him in our lives, the working of his word informing our lives to allow us to live lives that look more like the fruits of the spirit rather than the sin that we were once enslaved to. Devotion to God's word produces dependence. Secondly, devotion inspires obedience. In a world that fears commitment, we're called to complete surrender. First Samuel twelve twenty four. only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully, for consider what great things he has done for you. And how will we know unless we know? How will we know the terrible things that we've done? And then in turn, the great things that God has done to save us and bring us to himself unless we seek his word and unless we learn about them. And when we recognize how deep the trench was that God pulled us out of to set our feet on solid places, we can't help but respond on our knees in complete surrender to God that's good and a God that loves us. I have never known a person personally, those that I've looked up to, those heroes of the faith that did not know their Bible. And it was just evident by the way that they lived their lives. I mean, think about that, the people that you look up to, those in the faith that have lived lives just in submission to the Lord. And think about the conversations you've had with them, how scripture almost just oozes out of their entire being, that they can't help but talk about what God's teaching them in his word. They can't help but encourage someone that needs a word of wisdom from the passage that they read this last week. They've read about the life of Jesus. They've devoted themselves to learning about the life of Jesus and they've chosen to imitate him in every way. And don't we want that to be us as well? If we believe Jesus is good and worth imitating, why not completely give our lives over to him? The best way to become like him is to live as he has lived, which we see in God's word. There's telling of his life, of the things he committed himself to and was obedient to. In Mark 10, we see Jesus talking about how the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. In John six, he says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus, the son of man was completely obedient to the will of the father. And the more we learn about him, the more we learn about his word, how much he's saved us from and given us things to hope for the more than it produces in us a desire to look absolutely and completely different than the rest of the world. The things that once entertained us, that once drew us, no longer matter. They don't have the same taste as they once did. And there's a desire and an inspiration for obedience. Thirdly, devotion sharpens. In a world that loves comfort, oof, that's convicting, we're called to be sharpened by the double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, I think we chase distraction because when we actually sit alone with God and allow his truth to be the loudest voice in the room, we inevitably become very uncomfortable. When we have to sit and face our sin and the depth of our brokenness, we become uncomfortable because we see the standard of perfection and then we see on the flip side of that how far off we are from perfection. God's word confronts sin reveals the depravity of humanity. And yet it doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us there to sit and wallow in hopelessness. None of God's words ever preach that message. It is always a message of restoration and of hope. So while yes, God's word sharpens us and confronts sin, God's word also simultaneously encourages us, teaches us, guides us, uplifts us. When we say yes to following Jesus, Yes, we say yes to dying to self, to dying to comfort, to the easy road, to sin that so easily entangled us in the past. But we also embrace fullness of life, a fuller life than we've ever experienced, and fullness of joy, a peace that passes all understanding, a deeper love than we could have ever imagined to know, a divine purpose that we get to walk forward in, God's sharpening of our lives is for purpose and that purpose is to make us look more like Jesus himself. Hebrews 12 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your decrees. We are convicted, we are shaped to look more like Jesus, to reflect more of his character to a fallen and hopeless and broken world. Because Jesus' message of hope is for every single person. And so he sharpens us for purpose of our good, but also for his glory to a dying world. Devotion Sharpens, And lastly, and what I would say is one of the most important things that devoting to God's word can produce in us and can, uh, be a resp- or can be a consequence of making this a habit in our life is that devotion clarifies truth. In a world broken by sin, we're called to walk forward in truth. The Bible teaches us the true message of Jesus Christ, the hope that we get to have forever. You know, I began to, at most points in our lives, all of us kind of toy with these questions to begin to ask these questions ourselves: What is truth? What is black and white? What is right versus wrong? What is what I should believe in versus what I shouldn't believe in? And maybe some of you are asking those questions tonight, or maybe you've asked those questions long ago and figured out the answers for yourself, but maybe that's what brought you here is those exact questions of what is truth? I am the person that's hopeless. I am the person that's broken and tired walking into this room tonight. And I have been there. I've walked in those shoes. I remember beginning to have those questions for myself. And as I began to study what God's word had to say to me about what truth is, I found the most beautiful message of redemption that I had ever heard in my entire life. I heard that God created us, created man and woman, and yet in our perfection and unity with God, we turned away from Him and said, "'This isn't good enough for me, I want more.'" And that turning away caused sin to enter into the world and fracture everything from then on out. But God was not content with leaving us. God was not content with stopping that pursuit. And so He provided ways again and again and again for humanity to come back to Him, for man to remember the relationship that we once had with Him, And the rest of the Bible tells a story of how man would remember it for a while and would worship and adore God for a while, but then over time, turn back to worldly things, worldly pleasures, saying again and again, God, you're not enough for me. God, you're not enough for me. And God finally, knowing that it would take a perfect, permanent sacrifice to bring us back to himself once and for all, sends his perfect son, to become fully God and fully man, and to walk on this earth, to limit himself in every single way, and then to ultimately, at the end of his life, feel pain and discomfort and isolation and hurt as he took on all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, so that this perfect relationship that once was could be restored with us and God the Father. And raising three days later, defeated death once and for all, looked Satan straight in the face and said, you thought you won for a bit, but you did not. I have complete victory. I am the victor and the winner and I've come to bring my people back to me and I'll come again to perfectly restore everything. And this is the message that I saw and I heard and I believed as truth. And what does that mean for you and I? It means that now we get to embrace this gift of salvation and stand before the Lord someday when our time on this earth comes to an end, washed completely by the blood of Jesus and looked at as made holy and perfect and righteous and spend the rest of our days with others that have gone before us glorifying and praising the God that didn't leave us and abandon us. When the enemy quickly tells us that we're alone, truth tells us we're sought after. When the enemy tells us we're worthless, truth reminds us we're valuable and we're unique. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when the enemy tells us that no one cares, truth tells us that you were worth dying for. You were worth dying for. We talked at the beginning of this message of how many of us in life and in different seasons have felt like this is what's happening in my life. And yet we're jarred and wake up at a place that we don't recognize and we don't want to be at and what's our true north what how can we bring it back and find ourselves in places of peace and when this really became real for me was when i went through a season of like that a season like that of my own around 4 years ago close to this time i was back home in my small hometown western oklahoma And I was sitting with my family and with a mom that little did we know uh, was living out her last few moments on this earth. She'd been sick for three and a half years. And we knew that it was a possibility, um, but did not realize that that weekend would be when she would take her last breath and go be with Jesus. And a couple days after that happened, I found myself at a coffee shop that I had frequented in high school. I had spent many a times there in high school and walked in, I don't remember much about that day, I don't remember what drink I got, the music that was playing, but I remember I just walked in with this book, this exact Bible, you can find so many notes in the margins of just raw emotion, and I walked in with this Bible like I had done times in the past, and I sat down, bombarded with so many emotions, with the hurt, with the grief, with the fear, with the frustration and the confusion, and weirdly with joy, because I knew my mom wasn't hurting and that she was with the God that she spent a lifetime creating relationship with. And so it was all of these weird emotions that were just so heavy and placed me in the eye of the storm. And I sat there and I didn't know what to do. I opened my Bible to the two books, that I knew I might find some help in. I opened to Psalms and I opened to Lamentations. Lamentations I knew was a book about sadness and people being sad. And the Psalms was just written by a lot of people that weren't afraid to get real with their with their hurt and with their emotion. And so I just turned there. And like I said, you could look at those two books in my Bible and see so many prayers and angry remarks and cries for help as I sat with the Lord. And what I saw that day and many days to follow that day was that when everything around me felt like it was chaos and I had stepped into the biggest unknown i would ever been in my entire life, that the only anchor I had was what I had sought before in this book, the Jesus that I thought I knew. If I had allowed in those moments, my emotions to influence the idea that I had about Jesus, it would be, you're not for me. You don't care about me. You've just taken one of the greatest things in my entire life and I can't trust you. And yet when we allow truth that remains the same, despite circumstance to inform our view of Jesus, we are reminded so quickly that God says, I'm for you. I care about you. I've never once left you, I'll never leave you. I'm close to the brokenhearted. I care for those that are afflicted. I work all things out for your good and my glory. I have created you with purpose. There will be a day when you come with me and you're with me eternally where there's no more pain and no more tears and no more sorrow. And that's what I had to cling to because I had nothing else. There are a lot of other things in this world that are easy to turn to in those moments and that can provide maybe some comfort for a short moment, but it will never leave you with lasting peace. It will never leave you with lasting security like the truth found in this word does. And nothing like the truth found in this word will be able to stand up to the face of the enemy with sword in your hand when he comes to you and he wants to tell you all the lies about yourself or about your circumstances. And you hide it in your heart, you stand on it as firm foundation, and you know that God's word will never lead you astray and that it is trustworthy and it is where your hope can be placed in because when you begin to know God's word, you begin to know about the character of God. You know that this is the calm in the storm, that this is the peace in the chaos. It became so real for me. And I don't know what you're walking into this room with tonight. I don't know if you are in one of those storms. I don't know if you are fully believing what God's word has to say. And you're at a place where the Holy Spirit is working and moving in you. There's a range of personalities and backgrounds in this room. And I'll never assume what you're going through. I'll never assume the hurts that you've experienced. But I can say that there's a place to turn to. I can say there's someone that cares for you. And he wants to speak to you. And an avenue he's given us to speak to us is his word. And what a blessing that is. That when we feel like God's far from us, that he can't be trusted, we can turn back to this and know it's good and know it never changes. A little later on in John 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus is speaking. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If we believe that God's word is living and active and relevant for us today and important for us to know today, then we can be confident that by abiding in him, he doesn't leave us, but instead he gives us fullness of joy, lacking absolutely nothing. Jesus speaks these things over us as truth that we can believe in. So tonight we've talked a lot about the why. Why is reading God's word important? It is a stronghold in times of chaos. The what, what does it produce in us? As we read God's word, there's so many things, dependence, obedience, it sharpens us, it clarifies truth. But I do wanna touch on the how, because maybe you're again in this room and all this sounds fine and dandy to you, no matter the church background you've had, whether you've grown up in church or whether you're new to this building for the first time, all of it sounds great, this Jesus thing sounds cool, but how do I even begin to read my Bible? And that is a great question and one that I think more people nowadays are asking than ever before. And so I wanna touch on it a bit. I can't, there's no way that on a platform like this that we could talk about it comprehensively, but I know so many that would be willing to walk with you as you figure out how to read God's word. I mean, we as a staff always are willing to walk with you and point you in right directions as you are desiring to make this a habit in your everyday life. But a couple of the things practically that I wanna talk about that could be really important when you start to make this a discipline that you're practicing. And the first is this, to devote yourself to God's word, you've gotta schedule it. I remember going through premarital counseling and our counselor told us that if you don't schedule something, life's gonna schedule it out of the way and you'll never happen. it'll never happen, you'll never do it. And that is exactly the same with God's word. If you don't sit down and say, I'm going to do my Bible study, my devotional, I'm gonna spend time with the Lord in this way at this time, it won't happen. And so once you do, once you schedule it, guard that time fiercely. Guard that time, meet with Jesus. It's the best thing you could ever do. Secondly, plan it. Pick a reading plan of some sort. It'll help you stay focused. It'll help you stay disciplined. There are so many resources out there today of how to walk through scripture and how to practically read it. If you need help finding it, again, there are so many people like ourselves that would love to help you find a plan that works and that will help you know more of God's word. Schedule it, plan it, read God's word in community is another really important thing. And it's important for a couple of reasons. One being, as you're reading in community together, you can help each other discover what actually truth is. Cause yes, this Bible is beautiful and it never changes and it's all you would ever need, but it's complex and it's diverse and it's intricate. And there are so many things that don't present themselves as black and white. And so reading community to discover truth in community. Also, it helps that sense of accountability. When you're asking others what they're learning in God's word and they're asking you that question back, it helps you keep each other accountable and encourage each other to still be in God's word. And it helps you know if someone else is reading the same passage that you are, maybe they're getting something different out of it than you are. So it's just good to read God's word in community. And finally, release expectation. I don't know if the Enneagram is still a thing, probably not. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So I am, I look at everything through the lens of, I wanna achieve, I wanna succeed, I wanna earn something and for better or for worse. That is how I look at life. And so this is really, really big for me because I have to release expectation and realize I'm just coming to be with Jesus. I'm just coming to sit at my Savior's feet much like we see the story of Martha and Mary. If you've never read that story, it's just a little, little tiny story in the Gospels. And it talks about how Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. And he tells her that that was the best choice she could have made. Come, release expectation. Sit at Jesus' feet. Yes, have plan. Yes, have structure to remain disciplined and help you create a habit in your life, but allow room for the spirit to move. If you stay on one verse for an entire week because God's teaching you something, then do it. It's good, it's just good to sit and wrestle with God's word. Be with the Lord, grow in grace and knowledge. If you have to listen to scripture in your car, do it. There's so many ways to spend time with God. I think of my schedule even, I'm I'm afforded a lot of mornings where I can sit with my tea or my coffee and open God's word and I have tons of time to do that. In the season of life that I'm in, the job that I have, my mornings are pretty guarded. So it's easy for me to kind of begin to make that a habit in my life in the morning times. But my husband sometimes will get up at 4.30 in the morning and then doesn't get home till 10. And so there's just no practical way for those mornings to be as guarded for him, but there's time that he's in the car. And so he's listening to God's word, he's worshiping, he's praying. And so there's many different ways to spend time with God. It's just about making it a priority and making that an important part of your day. We even have a couple resources for you guys in the back. So there's these cards we've had out for many weeks, um, but they're questions to ask when reading the Bible. And so there's a couple different, there's seven different questions on the back that will kind of help you go a little bit deeper and uncover more as you're reading God's word. We have cards that have directions on how to log into RightNow Media, which you guys, you are a part of a church that gives you that freely. That is sometimes a paid subscription, so take advantage of that. There are so many resources, whether it's video studies or book studies or devotionals or just someone to walk you through a passage of scripture. There are so many resources on that, and we have those cards in the back as well for you to take. Among many other resources, again, we're here to help you. And if anything, when you're walking out tonight, I pray that something inside you is stirred, that God's working in you is shifting something in you to begin to think, what actually is going on in here? What actually is God saying in his word that could be of comfort to me or that could be of guidance to me that will cause me to worship him? The book that he's given us is full of knowledge and wisdom and adventure and love. And so I hope tonight that you leave here just a little bit more excited about what time with God through his word could look like. As we close, we're gonna do something that was pretty similar to last week as we ended our time practicing some rest, practicing some silence and some solitude. Well, not really solitude, you guys are all in here together, just silence, but practicing some silence. uh, We're gonna have a passage on the screen and it's just gonna kind of be something that you can read, uh, that you can make a prayer for yourself out of. I'd encourage you, if you're comfortable, to change your posture. You've been sitting back, listening to me go on and on for 30 minutes. So maybe change to a posture again of reverence, whatever that looks like for you, and allow yourself just to sit with God's word for this next couple of minutes. And to embrace the uncomfy, to embrace the awkward that might happen, but to know you're becoming before the Lord, a holy God that desires to meet with you. And so we'll have a few minutes where that passage will be on the screen, and then I'll come back up, we'll read it together, and then uh, worship and end our night. So if you will, just take a few moments and then we'll end our time together.